Hello, Nyata. My name is Alison and I pastor a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. We're based on Peak Warren Country in Warrnambool. Today I'm unpacking a story of ten bridesmaids, five foolish and five wise. And you'll find it in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Come on girls, you've been working since dawn and it's only midnight. How dare you sleep? Wake up, be alert, bright as a button. Anticipate your master's every need. You have more oil? Well, don't you dare share, you know it's a limited good. And stop fretting about your foolish sisters turned away from the banquet. Nobody likes a moping myrtle, so put a smile on your dial. And as for you who failed to please, now you'll get it. You'll be locked out. Just sleep on the step like the Levite's concubine. Let's see what happens to you. Well, I don't know about you, but the story of the ten bridesmaids doesn't sound much like heaven to me. Women expected to serve at all hours and anticipate their master's every need. Women set against each other, unable to share what they have. Women rejected from the house or realm, forced to wander unprotected in the dark. It's less heaven and more the iron fist of some patriarchal hell. How we hear stories depends so much on our social location. Those of us who are assured from the beginning that we belong are like, of course, yeah, got to be ready, so we're in. And so we hear this story as a Boy Scout lesson about what it takes to be accepted into heaven. We might feel it's a shame about the foolish bridesmaids, but you know the motto, be prepared. And so we read ahead to the sheep and the goats and find ourselves some sick, hungry, homeless people in order to earn our service badge and win the approval of our Scoutmaster King. But those of us who are less confident hear the story differently. Those of us who've been told that we do not really belong because of our questions, our bodies, our poverty or our loves. Those of us who are always treated like an outsider or a stranger. Those of us who are endlessly late and disorganised because we're foolish or addicted or sick or have crappy executive functioning or lost our money for oil at the pokies or are wrangling three scrappy kids. Well, what does a typical reading say to us? That in our weakness, our foolishness and our failure, God will slam the door in our faces and we'll be left outside in the dark. Is this the God we worship? Is this what the kingdom of heaven is really like? I don't think so. No. So I went back to the Greek and the very first thing I noticed is the introduction to the story. According to most translations, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven will be like this. But when you check out the Greek, it says something slightly different. The kingdom of heaven will be likened to this. The kingdom of heaven will be likened to this. It's just a little nuance, that future passive voice. But straight away it raises a question. Who will liken the kingdom of heaven to this story? Jesus or other people? The community who first heard it expected the Messiah would come to earth like a bridegroom, returning to his bride. 
and so they told stories anticipating a heavenly wedding banquet. Yet they also lived in a world where important marriages were political matters. They involved intense negotiation, formal treaties and the consolidation of power with not a whiff of love. And so I wonder, is Jesus using and subverting the marriage metaphor to tell a different story? We see a hint of this earlier in Matthew 22. Again, we have a wedding banquet, this time for the son of a great king. Ostensibly, everyone is invited, but really they're being ordered to witness a marriage of two powers. Now those who don't turn up, are murdered by the enraged and humiliated king. And the man who comes but refuses to wear festive clothing is thrown into outer darkness. Now, if we believe that God is easily enraged and easily humiliated and loves nothing better than wholesale slaughter, then we will read it as a story of heaven. So you better get yourself an invite and turn up and wear the right clothes. But if we trust in a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, as we have it in Psalm 86, then the king doesn't look like God, and the story isn't about heaven at all. Instead, it's a story of the world, and the Christ figure can only be the shabbily dressed man who, like Jesus, is silent and bound, and then thrown into the darkness of hell. Going back to the story of the ten bridesmaids, we find that the kingdom of heaven will be likened to a story where five goody-two-shoes are chosen. The compliant five, the five who have the privilege, training, foresight, resource and physical health to be prepared at all times, while the five kind of hopeless ones are turned away and left in the dark. And I suggest that the bridegroom here doesn't look much like a man who aligns himself with the poor and vulnerable, the sick and the outcast. That is, he doesn't look like Jesus. And so the story isn't about heaven at all. Instead, it's an observation about how some people think about the kingdom and present it to others. And who might those people be? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, says Jesus in Matthew 23, for you lock people out of the kingdom of heaven. You lock people out of the kingdom of heaven, and I would add, you tell sniggering stories about bridesmaids. These are the sort of religious leaders who wield power over people, not on their behalf. And they love nothing better than to sort. Wise, foolish, insider, outsider, righteous sinner, sheep, goat, our way, or the highway. But we worship the one who was judged and rejected by those same religious leaders. The one who was betrayed, condemned, dragged outside the city walls and crucified on the highway. And then his body was taken to a tomb and a great stone rolled across the door. It seemed that violence had won. Yet when he had breathed his last, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
the barrier between the sacred and the profane, God's holy place, and people's ordinary lives was no more. And three days later, women witnessed the door to the tomb being blown wide open. Death has been conquered. All of our sorting has come to nothing. And the risen Christ is on the loose. Ask, says Jesus, and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who searches finds, and everyone who knocks, whether ready or not, the door will be opened. The curtain hangs in tatters. God is in the world, and we find Christ among foolish bridesmaids and other outcasts, laughing in boundless joy. There is feeding and healing, reconciling, forgiving, Stories are being shared, bread is being broken, wine is being poured, and there is grilled fresh fish in abundance. For Christ is bringing everyone together at a gloriously generous and open banquet. So if you want to encounter Christ once more, there's an invitation with your name on it. Knock and ask for the door to be opened. And when it swings wide, all you need do is step over the threshold, out into the dark. For the word which brings life, thanks be to God. Now, there's always more to read on our website, that's sanctuarybaptist.org. And this week you'll find a reflection on our initial no to God's requests and what it might take to say yes. And this reflection was prepared on the lands of the Pequorong people of the Eastern Ma Nation. It's a land which is taken by force and has never been ceded. I pay my respects to elders past and present. The peace of the land, waterways and skyways be with us all. Amen.